Don't you hate it when things get in your way? Anybody else? Like maybe I'm just a really impatient person, but I absolutely hate it when I know what I want to do and someone or something is blocking my path. For example, I'm convinced at this point after 15 years of marriage that marriage is just primarily your spouse standing in front of the kitchen cabinet or drawer you need to open every single day. That's what you're signing up for. If you're about to get married, just know your spouse is always going to be standing in the one place you need to get at that moment. In the Suiza household, the thing that we say the most to each other is, I love you. And the thing that we say the second most is, move, you're in the way. Just the pastor's family? Okay, I guess you guys are really put together. You know where people always get in the way? Costco. Seriously, always in the way at Costco. It's ironic because Costco has the widest aisles of any store in Canada, and yet every single time I go, there's always some old, older lady blocking me with her cart. You know what I mean? Like she's in an aisle and she's on this side, and so I'm walking up behind her and I'm thinking, okay, I'm just gonna scoot around her in this lane. And the second I turn my cart, what does she do? Swerve over to this side. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to play it cool. I'm a pastor. I'm in public. I don't, you know, it's a, it's a small thing. Politely and discreetly, I'm just going to turn my cart and go back around this side. She needed on this side. No sweat. I'll go on this side. Every time I come back this way and this woman jumps back over to the place she originally was. Like at some point you have to start thinking, she's doing this on purpose. I don't know what her motivation is, but she's basically doing this rolling roadblock. Grandma's flexing on me for some reason. I don't know what she's trying to prove, but it's like she doesn't want me to get around her. It's just one of those frustrating things when people kind of get in my way. Speaking of Costco, I'll just, uh, let me chase a rabbit. The worst part of Costco is like the only way to get out of the store is to go through the cash register lines. Have you ever noticed that? If you go into Costco and you want to leave, they make you stand in two lines before you can get out of the store. You have to funnel through the cash register lines, and then there's another line up in order just to walk out of the store in the first place. Every time I go to Costco, I get frustrated because I'm not there to buy a 55-gallon drum of mayonnaise, you guys. I know that's what you go to Costco for, these giant portions of stuff. The only reason I go to Costco is for a 99-cent hot dog. That is the reason. It's the only reason I show up. And when I go in the store, in order to get to the cafe where they have the hot dogs, they funnel me through the registers. And I'm like, why is there this long line? People get out of my way. I just want a hot dog. By the way, if you have never discovered Costco hot dogs yet, whoo, you are not living life overflowing. Not truly if you do not have those hot dogs regularly. In fact, mark it down. We're going to change next steps here at Connect. We're going to talk about life overflowing in terms of knowing God, finding freedom, discovering purpose, making a difference, and Costco hot dogs. That's the fifth one. That's what it means to be alive today in 2019. This morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about obstacles, things People that are in your way, roadblocks, hindrances, dead ends that are preventing you from getting where you want or need to go 
in life. Now, look, I'm not talking about the petty stuff that I just mentioned where somebody's in your way just momentarily. I'm talking about the big stuff, the biggest things in life, the things that really do seem like an impossible hurdle that are preventing you from doing the things that you want to do in life. So this Easter... We're going to talk about a specific roadblock that a group of women had to face on the first Easter morning. So that's the reason we're talking about hurdles and roadblocks, because Jesus' earliest followers had to deal with a ton of hurdles and obstacles and roadblocks in the first century. I mean, think about it. They had dedicated their lives to following this Jewish rabbi around. They had seen him teach the masses and do miracles. And then one day, which we call Good Friday... Their rabbi was crucified like a common criminal. Everything they thought they understood about life, everything they had devoted themselves to, had suddenly just collapsed in on itself. And have you ever been at that moment in life where life just, it collapses in? And there's hurdles and roadblocks and dead ends. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't know how I'm going to move forward. I don't know where I go from here. Jesus' first followers were feeling that on Easter Sunday morning. And today what I want to do is I want to focus on a particular group of women in the New Testament and a roadblock or a hurdle that they had to face on that first Easter. And I'll tell you guys, this hurdle, this story of them dealing with a dead end that was unexpected, it is so weird But it's also so inspiring and helpful that I think by the time we get to the end of this story, you'll actually see yourself and your situation differently than when you walked in. The story is that powerful, but I'm going to give you a spoiler alert before we read it. By the time we get to the end of this story this morning, the women that we'll be talking about are not able to overcome the obstacle that's in their way. They're going to fail at moving this roadblock. So how can we say that this is a helpful story? How can we say it's an inspiring story? How can we say it's a powerful story in your life? Let's read and find out. Luke chapter number 16. Actually, it's Mark chapter number 16. It might help if I choose the right book of the Bible. Mark chapter number 16. We're going to read some verses. It's a short passage. Every single verse is on the screen for you this morning. So this is the start here of the women's problem. On Saturday evening, when the Sabbath had ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and they purchased burial fragrances and aromatics so that they could anoint Jesus' body. Okay, so let's make sure you understand the context of what's happening here. Jesus had been crucified on Friday, on Good Friday, right? And the Bible tells us that he died very near to sundown on Good Friday. And the law in Jewish times in Israel at that time was that a body had to be buried on the same day a person passed. You couldn't leave a body inside of the city gates. You couldn't leave them sitting around and deal with it tomorrow. Complicating things even further was the fact that Saturday, was the Jewish Sabbath day. What that meant was there was a law in their society that everybody had to take Saturday off. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like, I would love it if the government said, everybody's off, just you have to take a day to rest and relax. I don't think that's a terrible idea. That's what they had. And so when Jesus' body comes down off the cross, his followers, the men, by the way, they're like, oh my gosh, we gotta get this guy buried today because it's almost sundown and tomorrow's the Sabbath and we can't leave him laying around until Sunday. We gotta do something. 
And so the Bible tells us how they took Jesus and they buried him pretty hastily on Friday afternoon. Now, the women were concerned because the men had done the burial, if you know what I mean. And the ladies were like, I know they didn't do that right. And so they decided on Saturday, after the Sabbath was over, we're going to go redo what the men probably did not do in the first place. And so they decided Saturday they're going to go pick up all of the things they need to anoint and embalm Jesus' body, okay? So that starts this. And, and we, we're introduced to the three women here in the story. We're introduced to a woman named Mary. She's the mother of James. So this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is another woman who happens to have the same name, okay? Then we also get introduced to a woman named Salome. And we find out that Mary and Salome had raised four sons between the two of them that had all all become followers of Jesus. So these were like good Jewish moms raising good Jewish little boys, okay? But also, we read there's a third woman with them, and her name is Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene is such an interesting character from the scripture because about a year earlier, the Bible says she was living in Israel as a quote-unquote immoral woman. That's what the Bible says, okay? You could probably guess that that is code for a woman who gets around town, okay? That, that's who Mary Magdalene was. She had a reputation. Um, in fact, we think it's entirely possible this is how she was making her living in the first century. But in the book of Luke, she has an encounter with Jesus, and her life is radically transformed. The scripture actually says Jesus cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. So I want you to catch this. Like, this is not my main point today, but I really hope you do not miss this little interesting tidbit from this story. The movement of Jesus, for some reason, has brought together good religious soccer moms and demon-possessed hookers. Like, it, this is a weird cast of characters in this story. Let's just be honest about it, okay? But I think this is an important thing to take note of because what it tells us is that no matter whether you're like a proper, well-put-together religious person or you are the exact opposite, you have a place in Jesus' family. You have equal right to Jesus. You have equal access to him this Easter. No matter which of those characters you look like, you belong as much as anybody in this theater. Okay. So they decide they're going to go to the tomb. And in verse 2, the Bible says, Very early on Easter Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. Now you have to understand, in Jesus' day, they did not dig a hole six feet in the ground and bury people, you know, by putting dirt on top of them. They lived in a rocky desert. And so it just didn't make sense. It was hard to dig that deep into the ground and to bury bodies that way. And so instead what they did is they would either find naturally occurring caves or stonemasons would carve caves out of solid rock cliff sides. They would carve a burial chamber and they would put an entire body inside. In fact, I've got a picture here that I want to show you. This is called the Garden Tomb in Jerusalem. It dates from roughly the same period in which Jesus was buried. We don't know if this is the actual tomb where he was put in or if this is just an example, but that's kind of what it looked like. It was a small low door and you would walk in and there would be a small chamber in which every member of your family would be buried. Now, in order to seal the tomb, 
in order to keep people from just walking in and stealing any valuables that might have been inside of the family crypt, they would take large disc-shaped stones and they would roll them on their edge in front of the tomb. So imagine a huge toonie made out of stone. It would weigh about a ton, 2,000 or so pounds, and it's so large and heavy that it would take 10 to 12 full-grown men in order to move the stone into or out of place. So maybe you start to see a problem already with the women's plan to go to the tomb and anoint the body of Jesus. They've got an obstacle in their way. Then in verse number three, the Bible says it dawns on them. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? It occurs to the women, wait, there is a massive roadblock in our way, a literal obstacle that they cannot get past. These women have been so full of grief. They've been so full of a desire to properly care for Jesus in death that they totally forgot about the fact that there was a one-ton stone blocking their way forward. It was a roadblock. They were completely unable to pass. This stone was just too big. Listen, I mean, these might've been really strong women, but even if they had gone through Scott Bateman's Pray for Gaines Connect class, I'm telling you, They would not have had the strength to move this stone out of the way. They're faced with an obstacle they are unable to overcome. My wife mentioned earlier, I said it at the top of the message, you may be here this morning and you're facing an obstacle. And as far as you're concerned, there is no way forward. There is no way you're going to be able to overcome this. So what do you expect these women would do? They're maybe halfway to the tomb and then it dawns on them, oh my gosh, there's this giant stone in the way. What are we going to do? What would you expect them to do? I actually would expect them to give up, turn around and go home because there is no chance that they're going to be able to move this stone on their own. The the place that they're trying to get in life is impossible for them. So they they were wasting their time if they continued on to the tomb. Their problems should have prevented them from proceeding. But part of what makes this story so wonderful and worth telling today is that the women didn't give up. They kept walking step by step, faith step by faith step towards the tomb. Despite the fact that every rational bone in their body must have been saying, this is pointless, Salome. What are you doing? Even if you manage to get to the tomb, you're never going to be able to get inside. And yet, their persistence pays off. Look at what happens in verse number four. As they arrived at the tomb, they looked up and they saw that the stone which again, was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in, white, uh, in a white robe sitting on the right side. This is another way in the Bible of describing an angel. So they walk in and they see an angel, okay? Um, they see him sitting on the right side. The women were, of course, shocked, but the angel said, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, but he isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, you can see this is where they had laid his body. The women arrive at the tomb. 
I don't know why they kept going. Like, I'm not sure if they were expecting to find some help. Like, maybe they thought, okay, if we get there, maybe there'll be some men around and we can ask them for help. I know that's not very progressive, but maybe they were just looking for strong people. Maybe they thought the Roman centurions were going to help them, the guards that had been posted outside of Jesus' tomb. Maybe they thought if we just get on one side and we push and we pray, God will give us some extra force, you know? Like when a woman is trying to lift a car off of her child or something, like we could push that thing if God will just give us some help. But check this. When they got there, they didn't find help to overcome their obstacle. Instead, they found out that Jesus had already removed their obstacle for them. They didn't just get help. They had somebody step in. We learn, they learn, we see from this story that God's power is not limited by our problems. We can have a stone in front of us that is so big, it is so heavy that we think there is no way I'm ever gonna be able to move this thing. And you might be right, but God's power is not limited by our problems. One time Jesus said, look, with people, there are things that are going to be impossible, but with God, everything is possible. These women were powerless. They were stuck. They had nowhere to go. They had nothing that they could do. But Jesus was powerful enough to give them exactly what they needed in the moment. Now, we'll pause for a second. Let me ask you a question here. Why do you think Jesus moved the stone out of the way on Easter Sunday? You might think, well, because he woke up Sunday morning in the tomb, and you could kind of imagine Jesus like walking around in the dark, and eventually he knocks on the door, and he's like, guys, let me out. No, that's not the way it went down at all. In fact, one of his followers named John writes down in his book of the Bible that after the resurrection, Jesus often would appear or materialize and then disappear in rooms that had all of the windows and doors shut and locked. So Jesus didn't move the stone from the front of the temple so that he could get out. He moved the stone away from the front of the temple so that the women could get in. Jesus steps in and he does for these ladies what they cannot do for themselves. He is the one who is removing the obstacles. He is the one that is taking down the roadblocks. He is the one that is the way maker. He is clearing a path so that people can get to where it is that they need to go. What this reminds me of, what it teaches me, what it teaches you, every single one of us, is that when we have stones in our life, when we have obstacles, when we have things that are blocking our progress forward, when we have no idea what we're supposed to do, or when we know what should happen, but we are powerless to make it occur, we don't need God as our helper. We need God as our hero. We need God to intervene miraculously. You don't want Jesus as your sidekick. You want Jesus as your savior. These ladies didn't get to the tomb and start pushing and say, okay, you plus you plus God, maybe we can move this thing. No, no, no. God intervened. God took away the hurdle. God removed the obstacle that was preventing them from moving forward in their life. You need God to step in for you. I need God to step in for me when I'm faced with an obstacle that's this big. That's why the angel's words are so important in verse seven. We're gonna end with this. In verse number seven here, 
the angel speaks to the women and he says, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The angel reminds these women of what Jesus had already promised. He had previously said, I am going to die But don't worry, I'm going to rise again. I'm going to conquer every single obstacle, including the biggest ones of all, sin and death. Can I tell you, it does not matter what your problem is this morning. It doesn't matter what stone you are facing. It does not matter what obstacle is in front of you. Every one of our problems are met by the promise of Jesus. Every single problem we have is met by the promise of our conquering Savior. I'm going to put some on the screen. These are just example stones. These are just example problems. I've already listed a few. Let's list a couple more. Perhaps yours is here. Maybe it's something else altogether. But can I tell you, whatever problem you have, there is a promise from Jesus that corresponds to it. There are some of you that are here this morning, and you're saying, Dan, I don't know what I'm going to do about the stone of loneliness that I've been carrying around for years. I feel completely isolated. I don't feel like anybody is on my side. No family, no friends. The friends I have have turned their back on me. I feel utterly alone. Can I remind you, Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Maybe you say, Dan, I need some provision. Like there are things that have to happen in my life and I don't have the resources I need. I can't pay my bills. Like life is a real struggle right now. And if God is my provider, I really hope he'll start providing. Can I remind you of what Jesus said? His promise is that if God cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, how much more will he care for you? Because you are his beloved children. Maybe you say, I need healing. Man, our church has just been racked recently with people receiving negative diagnoses and difficulties when it comes to their health. And yet when Mark wanted to describe what Jesus did while he was here on earth, he said, Jesus went around the countryside and he proclaimed the good news and healed all sorts of diseases and sicknesses. If you need healing, if the problem is a sickness or a disease, there is a promise from Jesus that he will heal you in some way someday. If you need wisdom, if you say, oh my gosh, I've got a couple of options in front of me and I don't know which to go, like which guy should I choose, which university should I enroll in, which job should I take, should I stay in Alberta or should I go back east? If you need wisdom, the book of James says you can ask for it from God and he is so generous, he'll give it to you freely. He won't hold anything back. Maybe you need faith today. Maybe you say, gosh, I I used to believe But these days, nah, not so much. Or maybe you say, I don't get it. My family, my brother and my sister, they're all in. They believe, they're a true believer. But for me, it's just something hasn't clicked. I don't know what it is. If you need faith, can I tell you, Jesus said, all you have to have is faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, which if I held up, you wouldn't even be able to see. It's the tiniest little seed you can imagine. And he says, if you have even that much faith, God can do miraculous things in you and through you. My friends, every single one of these promises are from Jesus to you to address, to confront, to overcome the problems and obstacles that you're facing today. But I have to tell you, there is still one more hurdle 
that we have to face up to. There is still one stone that every single person on the planet has had to confront at some point in their life. And the truth is this stone is like the stone that blocked the tomb. It will prevent us from getting to God or God to getting to us for as long as we refuse to acknowledge it and allow Jesus to intervene in it. This stone is called sin. And Jesus told us that our sin, the wrong that we do in the world, it actually separates us. It is like a stone that blocks our relationship with God. Now, I know some of you guys are like, did that little dude just call me a sinner? I'm going to meet him out in the parking lot. We'll see if he calls me a sinner to my face. Look, I'm not saying you're a bad person. In fact, you're probably a better person than me. Truly, you probably are living a better life than I am. But can we just acknowledge if there is a God up there somewhere, we've probably all broken some of his rules, right? Could we acknowledge that much? Nobody's perfect. Nobody gets it right 100% of the time. Sometimes we're mean. Sometimes we're selfish. Sometimes we take things that don't belong. Doesn't matter what example we want to use. Can we just acknowledge I've probably broken whatever rules God has? If so, that's what the scripture calls sin. Now, here's the thing. You can spend your entire life trying to deal with the stone of sin. You can get up next to it and you can push it. You can try to do right. You can try to balance the scales, so to speak. You can struggle and struggle and struggle. But according to Jesus, this stone is just like the one the women were facing. It is so large, it is so heavy that none of us will be able to move it on our own. In fact, God loves us so much that he won't allow us to struggle futilely for years and years and years, trying to push away, trying to get rid of this obstacle of sin that stands between us and him. Instead, in the same way that Jesus showed up, he kicked over the stone in front of the tomb. Jesus showed up on the cross and he, stick, he kicked over the, the stone of my sin. Every stupid thing I've ever done, every selfish word I've ever said, every time I've ever hurt somebody, whether intentionally or unintentionally, Jesus said, I'll take care of that for you so that there is no longer a hurdle. There is no obstacle. I have free access to God just like these women did because Jesus took care of the stone that I could not take care of for myself. There are all of these blessings that Jesus has for us. I've, I've listed a bunch of them here on the screen. Promises from God for every single roadblock you're facing. But can I tell you, this is a package deal. You cannot claim this promise and this promise, but then ignore this one and that one. If you want the blessings, the provision, the promise of Jesus in all these other areas of your life, it is tied to his promise to forgive our sins. You cannot have these if you refuse this. Let me show you how Peter summed it up. In 1 Peter chapter number two, this is our last verse that we're gonna read. And Peter, who was one of Jesus' original followers, you might've even noticed a moment ago, the angel said, hey ladies, I want you to go tell the rest of his disciples who were too scared to show up today, including Peter, that Jesus is gonna meet him in Galilee. The Peter that the angel mentioned is the same Peter that writes these words about two decades after the resurrection. And he says this, he says, Christ died for you. He never sinned. He never, ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, 
nor did he threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Peter said, he personally carried our sins in his body while he hung on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and we could live for what is right, for what really matters. We could live the life that God always intended his people to live. It is by his wounds that any of us are healed. We find here that Jesus, his death on the cross and his victory and resurrection, it brings every blessing imaginable to us. It brings us truth. It brings us healing. It brings us provision. It brings justice and a million other things as well. But it's all tied to the forgiveness of our sins. Until we allow Jesus to remove this last stone from our life, there will always be an obstacle between us and God. But God doesn't require you to deal with the obstacle. He says all you have to do is trust that Jesus has removed the obstacle. If you come to him by faith in the same way those women kept walking to the tomb, when you get to Jesus, you'll find that you have free and open access to him. Guys, this morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to this good news of Jesus. And I'm not asking you to become a religious person. I'm not asking you to join our church What I'm asking is for you to allow Jesus to remove the last roadblock, the last obstacle and hurdle between you and your heavenly father. So I'll invite everybody in the theater to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you say, Dan, this is me. You've been talking to me. You've been talking about me this morning. And I don't know what all of this means, but whatever it is, I need Jesus to take away my regret. I need Jesus to take away my past. I need Jesus to take away my fear. I need Jesus to intervene in my life. You might simply pray a prayer like this. You can say it out loud or you can say it quietly in your own heart. Dear Jesus, I need forgiveness and a fresh start. I believe you are powerful enough to give me both. So today... I give myself to you.